Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. For a lover overdressed The psyche is created long before you start to think At the blink, it's your decision what you do No clue for the food fighter Alrighty Hi Nancy, hi Walt, hi Jean Hello Hello Hi Colleen, how are we doing tonight? We're doing just fine Been a good day Excellent, excellent. It sounds good on the uh, on the Skype here. Good, good. Uh, it is the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It is August twenty fifth, twenty fifteen, and um, Walt is with us, and Jean is with us, and Colleen is with us. We have to have Colleen. She's the producer. We wouldn't be here without her. <laughs> Thanks. She's got the button. Remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, now. Uh, we started out to, um, first off, uh, we have to address what's happening in the, in the financial world simply because it looks terrible. I mean, my dad left me some stock and I've lost $5,000 in the last few days. Um, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me because I understand it's monopoly. It's just monopoly. And as a kid, when I played Monopoly, if I lost all my pieces and ended up in jail, I, I didn't want to scream and holler and run for fear. Uh, it's a game. It's a game. It's all it is. Now, <clears throat> Cindy Evans on the uh, CosmicReality.net on the current radio show uh, button, the last one on the right, you can go to the um, the show notes. And um, Cindy Evans wrote a very, very excellent piece on the stock market crash and why it is just a game. And we shouldn't be upset about it because if if we you can't you can't clean a room until you clear a room. And that's all that's happening. There are so many people behind the scenes that have understood this, have been watching this for years. Trust me, this has been going on for years. That they have intricate systems already in place that will simply take over where the opening occurs when you clear out the room and now you're going to clean it up. There is nothing to panic about. There is nothing to be fearful about. If you put the panic and the fear into it, it's going to gain momentum, and that's all they want. They want you in that state because why? Because you can't be free. You can't be free to play the game we're playing, and the game we're playing is a mind game. This is a mental battlefield. We know that they have failed. We know that because all of us have paid the consequences for it. The game is up. All of what you're seeing is just a disintegration of something that is old and obsolete and cannot continue. There are many options on the table. There will be, it's going to be smoother than anybody thinks it should be because, you know, well, all right, isn't it supposed to be a little rocky when you make changes? Not necessarily, not if you do them in a smooth way. And on Cosmic Reality uh, Facebook group, you're going to find that the top post, the pin post, is one on Bill Brockberger. And Bill 
has um, gone underground. He is with what I call, now this is my term, not his, the anonymous revolution. This has been going on for a very long time. When I wrote 9-11, the 9-11 crusade, the novel, I actually spoke about the beginnings of that group. Um, people that really understand who I am and what we're doing here understand that the book is, is more fact than fiction. And that group has been able to take an immense amount of control over the country in a very quiet way, a very silent, right behind the scenes. All they're trying to do is to, instead of allowing a huge crash that the dark side, if they're going to go down, they're going to go down like Hitler did, you know, burn the city of Berlin. Um, they're going to, they are actually um, attempting to steer it in a very smooth decline to get that other stuff out while they are simultaneously bringing online the financial system that will replace it. And this financial system comes from a number of different places. Uh, they actually have currency produced, currency backed on gold and silver. It's no more a game of monopoly. It's going to be the reality of uh, just the, the finessing that you need to do to have world trade. That's all it is. So don't panic. It's good. Everything is good. Read um, Cindy's blog. The, the link is there on the um, the show notes. There are also links to um, David Wilcock because David has written a um, – it's detailed. It can probably bore you in certain points. You're going to get a little overwhelmed in certain points. But it is a really detailed analysis of where we are and how we got here. And there are so many links to point you to places where things that, things that we were, people were calling conspiracy are now considered conspiracy facts. We are conspiracy truthers. There's conspiracy out there, and we're just trying to get the truth out. Um, there's also a, um, uh, a, a, a link to Anelia's, um, Anelia Benz's newest post, and that I do want to get into, because whereas we kind of like, well, we call ourselves reality sci-fi because we're playing the mind game in a much different way than most people are. We believe that we have access to etheric energies where we can send our thoughts, make changes, and the etheric is the blueprint for the third dimensional old reality, or in this case, the third dimensional new reality. And what we do when we're doing etheric work is we are convinced because of our experience that the etheric exists. It's a it's an area of energy. And we know that as human beings, Gaia gave us the right, and not only the right, but the responsibility to access those energies in order to make changes that had we had to have changed the old reality through the old ways, would have taken a long time and would have been strenuous and would have been hurtful. This way, <clears throat> we just took a piece of turf, claimed it, created a new reality. And now we work in that, from that reality through the etheric 
to make changes in the old reality that will simply finesse the and make easier the uh, let's say growing power, the growing uh, mo- uh, uh, motion, the, the 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 growth of this new reality that is forming because of not just what we're doing, but because of what so many other millions of people all over the world are doing. There are so many people that just said, we can't continue in this old way. And they developed in their own ways, ways of making a difference, thinking about it differently, being aware of it, saying, well, are there solutions? And you know that I post on on Cosmic Reality, uh, the Facebook page, a lot of these new solutions that are coming out so everything is good. Everything is really, really good. And I want to bring on Walt to talk about Anelia because Anelia gives us another aspect. We, we kind of make it, we take it to the crazy side, you know, we're going to do this with our minds and we're going to control things and we're going to change things and we're going to, you know, alter time and place and all sorts of stuff. She's very, very matter-of-factly going to tell you the way to get to that point where you can do it also. So, Walt, will you um, just give us a little background in, or give us an overview of Anelia's post so that they maybe will be enticed to go there and to really learn and listen because imbued in that post is energy. Um, yeah. Jean does yeah. it also. Jean has, when she posts, there's energy in those posts. You should pay attention to the fact that you are being energized as you read it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's just energy. And Anelia does the same thing. So, um, Walt. You mean the post where she sent that uh, PDF where you're powerful and they don't want you to know it? Exactly, that one. (laughs) Well, that's it, people. You're powerful and they don't want you to know it. (laughs) I couldn't say it any better. (laughs) Well, and uh, it's really, really interesting because uh, everything, the views that she provides are so unique in the sense that When you read the material of other teachers, um, and I have had experienced this from uh, being able to hear in person material from other teachers, and unfortunately, in order to get to the meat of the subject, you have to filter through multiple layers of the person's personality that's giving you the information. So once you trim out that fat of the personality, you finally get to the message, what is this person trying to relay? With Anelia, that doesn't happen because since she's a unique case in in the eternity of existence, this is the first time that she's experiencing what it is to be incarnated as a human. Her views of things, her explanations of things couldn't get any simpler. And that's why, like you said, she's very matter-of-fact about the things that she talks about. So the first part of the document is very interesting and because she mentioned something that happened in, uh, in one of the lectures that she gave um, where she would openly say, you know, this is what I'm scanning, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm sensing. And she says after the uh, the class, a gentleman stepped up to her and said to her, well, you shouldn't talk that way. You should say, in my opinion... <laughs> So what happens is the man was reacting to her authority. So he wanted her to step down from her authority because it was making him uncomfortable. Because this is what, this is one of the, those things that we've done in this reality as it has been created. Remember 
But what the thing that you always keep saying, you always need a story. Well, part of the, the story that was that we all agreed to in this in this so-called reality is that we're always going to put somebody in charge to handle our our you know day-to-day affairs. Like you know, this group of people is going to manage this, and this other group is going to manage this, and this other group is going to tell me what I should be studying, and this other group will tell me how I should be living, and so on and so forth. So we have this unconscious agreement of putting people in positions of power. An authority. So when someone is in front of you and they're standing in their authority, it makes you kind of uncomfortable because it's your automatic reaction to being in front of a person with authority. So that's why she explains, don't, don't let anybody push you off of your place of authority. You, you're, if you're standing in your truth, nobody has any right to take you down from it. Uh, the other part of the, uh, of the article is, um, this other, this is another facet of this reality that we've created. The constant need for meaning and significance. Like, um, she gives the example, like, for example, watching TV is, has little or no value and seeking enlightenment that has the most value. And she says both are false. None of these, those two things have ultimately any value because you are already a divine, eternal, infinite, immortal, illuminated being. You're just here playing this game. So <laughs> she says that's one of the things that she tells many people like, uh, spiritual seekers and stuff like that, that, you know, your day to day lives don't have, doesn't have any meaning. They don't have any consequence. They don't have any value. And she says most of them freak out because they don't want to hear that. I mean, that's the focus of their existence is to seek enlightenment or to seek, you know, spiritual validation. And you already have it. You're already infinite. You're already immortal. You're just, you know, playing this little game. At, well, I wonder what it feels like to be a human being on the planet. So that's that's another thing is that um, and she gives a perfect example of that. Um, she says, for example, enjoying a brand new car. If you have someone who just is, is buying a brand new, you know, latest fashion sports automobile, very fast, very fancy, and you're driving it around to make everybody else jealous and envious. Oh, look, he's got money. Oh, look, he's got power. Oh, look, he's got the best car. Well, that's just, you just created some false value, some illusion of value. But if you are just, uh, if you just bought the car because you enjoy the acceleration and the speed and the power, then just that's your experience. It's just you bought it because you enjoy the experience. You don't care what it, however other, you know, other people witness your experience. So that's another valuable part in the post is to learn to see things without that judgment of what has value and what doesn't have value and see things from a neutral perspective without agendas. And then when you do that, then you start accessing that power of yours because nothing is ever, if you realize that this business of value, um, it's a good thing that you started off with a stock exchange because all that thing is, I always saw when I would see films or the guys yelling on the stock floor, to me it struck me as, you know, like a ridiculous circus. So that means there is no absolute value of anything it's all created. It's all made up. Like, uh, you, rem- you know, 
who out there hasn't had a chance to play? I know I was a single, a single son, but I had a chance to play with other kids in the neighborhood. And when you play house or you play some <laughs> role playing game, and that's all it is. You know, after we're done playing, you know, everybody goes home and has lunch or your mother calls you to come back. And the whole thing is just fabricated value. And that's what she says. If you start, you know, witnessing things without that agenda of what has value and what doesn't have value, or this is important or this is not important, if you get rid of that facade, false facade, then you start accessing your real power because you will be manifesting the stuff that is significant to you in the sense of this is what I want to experience. Why do I have to experience lack? Because the collective says, you know, I have to be in lack. That's not my experience. It's just an experience. It doesn't mean it's more or less in, important, but you don't have to be accepting all those values that are imposed on you. So she says, you are powerful. You are powerful. And, and she equates powerful as in the power to do. You are power. You are energy. You are chi. And that's exactly what they don't want you to know because as soon as you realize that, well, then the game is over for them because you stop going to the figures of authority for power. You don't have to go anywhere for power. You are the source of your power. So it's very, and she says at, at the very end, she says, if you, if you're not, this, this document contains really dangerous information. If it's not your time to be aware of this, you would have stopped reading in the first paragraph. And if you've gotten to the end of it, that means it's time for you to come to your power. <laughs> so she's very clear about that too. I mean, uh, when you were saying uh, conspiracy, I was thinking maybe we could change, because of the connotation of the word, maybe we should look for a new word because... To me, conspiracy is nothing more and nothing less than an uncomfortable truth. Because that's essentially that's what it is. When you're talking conspiracy is because you're dealing with subjects that are just too uncomfortable for the average Joe. They just, they just contract into fear because this is such a serious subject and it's just, it just makes me uncomfortable. So I don't want to go there. I don't want to touch it. And that's essentially what it is. It's, a lot of people have come to equate conspiracy with something that's false or made up or an exaggeration or, of something, when in reality it's just that nasty, uncomfortable truth that's beneath that false facade of civilization that they sold us. You know, that bill of goods. Oh, yeah, you, you are, you are a citizen and you have independence and you have freedom and you have rights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not so, the, we'll, uh, so we'll just call ourselves the uncomfortable truth truthers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> kind of a long name, though, but well, what do see. you guys deal with? We deal with uncomfortable truths, believe it or not. <laughs> well, well we, we would be the Uts, UTTs. <laughs> yeah, UTTs. UTTs. Yeah. Anelia, thank you so much for giving us that insight. Um, you can't help but read her to just feel good about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, um, it, it always, the message with her is always consistent is that you're the ultimate. This is your reality. You're creating it. 
So regardless of what experience you're having as to who you're reading or it's just part of that experience and you're the one that has the last word. So that, that business of giving your power away and having somebody come to you and say, oh, you should be following this or you should be following that or you, you should be practicing this. Well, you know, thank you for telling me these things, but. Well, we I call it claiming for... your dominion. <laughs> yeah. Claim your dominion. <laughs> Jean, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I had a hell of a day, Nancy. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hell of a day. Hell of a day fun or hell of a day aggravating? I just had a hell of a day. <laughs> okay. Not attaching any value to it. Uh-huh. Just an observation. <laughs> exactly. It was pure experience. That it was, my friend. So, hey, wait a minute. Nancy promised that Jean would be telling her adventures in Canada land. Is that true or just false billing? No, no, no. D.C. Remember last week she wasn't here because she was on a secret mission? Oh, <laughs> a secret mission from God, like the we, Blues Brothers. We wouldn't tell anybody where you were, Jean. We just said you were on a secret mission for Gaia and the Watchers. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, no, last night Jean and I were talking and she was, um, telling me about her experiences and I said, oh, let's hold on. Let's, let's just do this on the show. And she was comfortable enough last night to do that. Are you still feeling like you'd like to just give your observations of what you saw and felt there in the city? Yeah, um, sure. It, it, well, when I, when I went, my daughter and I went, and um, I unexpectedly was uh, given a day off, so I thought, oh, I'll go to Washington. I haven't been there in probably 20 years because my dad's in Arlington Cemetery. And um, so we drove there, and, and I took Walt's uh, devices and a bunch of Organite and Shungite and a whole bunch of stuff and set it up in the hotel room. And I didn't tell it to activate until we got back later, but we went to um, – we went to Arlington Cemetery and it, it, that was the first place that, the, that we went. And it was interesting because almost as soon as I got there, I felt like I was uploading energy and, um, it made me physically sick. I mean, I was, I was affected physically. I had pain and, and all kinds of stuff. It was really uncomfortable. And when I went to Arlington, um, just the profound sadness that was there over the land. Obviously it's a, it's a sad place. And we just, we walked around and everywhere that we went, you could see energy devices. Um, there were pyramids and, and everywhere that you would walk, if we went into a little park and it was, um, something was labeled as art, obviously it was, it was intended to, be some kind of antenna or give off some kind of energy. And it, it was, uh, we were standing there, my daughter and I were standing there looking at the Washington Monument because they're doing all kinds of construction right in front of the monument. And I forget what they're, what they're planning for that area, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of construction going on there in the, in the city itself, right around where, um, like right around the National Mall and so forth. And, we're standing there and we're looking at the Washington Monument and all of a sudden you could see this poof of energy come out of it. And my daughter and I just kind of looked at each other like, what the heck was that? You know, what's going on there? And later on when we got back to the, we got back to the hotel, 
um, we were just watching TV and I looked at the, I looked at the devices. They were sitting there on the desk and I said, okay, go ahead and activate. And, um, I walked out onto the balcony and I just sat out there and I was looking at my phone and looking at my emails and Facebook and stuff like that. And, um, my daughter comes out. I don't know how long I was out there, probably like 10 minutes or something. And when I got out there, she said, um, mom, the fire alarm's going off. And I just started, I just started laughing hysterically. And I said, you know, honey, it's fine. It, it'll, it'll go off in a minute. And all of a sudden I could hear people downstairs, you know, freaking out. They're all like chattering out in front of the, um, the front part of the hotel because they had obviously run down the, the stairs going out of the hotel. And so we started to gather up our stuff because I thought, all right, if it doesn't go off in a minute, we're going to have to get downstairs. And as soon as I grabbed my purse and put my shoes on and stuff, the, the, uh, the alarm, you know, it stopped. So I thought that was that was just absolutely hysterical. So really the bottom line is I I don't know why I was there, but something definitely happened when I was there. And um, once I was done and over with, it, it was time to go. I mean, we spent probably about 24 hours there, and that was it. And I couldn't get out of there fast enough, quite frankly. Wow. Um you plunged the spear of destiny into their heart, Jean. I don't think so, Walt. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, that that was um, that's interesting because something that Bill Brockbrader said in his um, in his tape, uh, the first one, was concerning. Um, you know, he didn't name her, but I knew as soon as he started talking about her that it was Elizabeth Warren. And he was saying to her, um, please run for president because we can guarantee that we can deliver the con- Congress to you. You will not be fighting the Congress like they've That's interesting. Push the wrong button. Am I on? Yeah, you're on. This silly share mouse was went crazy. <laughs> okay, wouldn't right. we? <laughs> uh, believe me, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me what it, what it could be. Um, anyway, Elizabeth Warren, and he was saying that um, you know we can deliver the Congress. Now, the only way that he would be able to say that is that they basically have enough information on the people in Congress, the Senate and the, the House of Representatives, to blackmail them. Because that's what it's all about. It's about people out there that are being blackmailed themselves through very, very nasty stuff that goes on uh, to toe the, toe the line. If you are part of the anonymous revolution and you understand what is being uh, held over these people you just go to them and say look you've got a decision to make if this is going to come out one way or the other either the black side's going to do it to you or we're going to do it to you it's going to happen but if you come with us now if you say yes I am going to I am going to tell the truth I am going to become give those uncomfortable truths to the United States people then at least you'll have done that. So when you were in D.C. and you were feel, feeling this energy movement and all this this sort of thing, it's a change that I think is happening, interestingly enough, in the three, third 
the old third dimension, more so even than in our new reality. And that is that there are people that are waking up, that are coming to courage. And that's what we have to um, give to them, is courage. You know, don't try to fight them. Don't try to hate them. Don't try to, you know, in some way or another, get some vengeance. Just give them courage. Courage to be able to stand up when everything else is falling down, that they stand up and they do the right thing. Now, again, going back to the financial thing. John Kennedy realized that there was a problem with the Federal Reserve. And he had made agreements with some Eastern families to um, acquire a, a tremendous amount of gold and silver and other treasures to back, going back to a gold-silver standard. And so he ordered the um, printing of U.S. government currency, not Federal Reserve currency, but U.S. government. Because remember, it's a monopoly game. All he wanted to do was to change the, the, the playing tools, the money. And that was one of the reasons he was assassinated. Uh, those, that run is still there. It was never cut. Within a matter of, you know, sending it through the cutters, we can have cash on hand. It's already there. John's already done it. So there are so many things that are going to bail us out. But again, it comes back to the people, the people, the individuals that are there, you know, standing up and saying they're the United States government, even though they know they're working for a corporation. They have got to come clean. Now, that is trying, I'm trying to segue into a conversation that Gene and I started to have yesterday regarding the founding fathers. Because if you read some of the stuff that I've written regarding the way that we lost the, the nation to this corporation. It was not an unknown possibility within the founding fathers. These men were extremely enlightened, but they also smoked marijuana and drank beer. <laughs> okay? They and grew had marijuana. lots of sex. And lots of sex. They were truly experiencing life. So, Gene, you've got insight into um, the Founding Fathers that you started telling me, and I really wished you would, uh, you know, share that with our audience. Well, you know, it was interesting because when, when I was, um, I forget where I was. At, oh, I remember where I was. I was at, there's a monument to uh, Albert Einstein. And my daughter and I were sitting there, and I, I realized that um, I could feel the presence of uh, George Washington. Now, th this wasn't as an earthbound spirit. This was definitely as an ascended uh, ascended energy. And um, we had a little conversation when I was sitting there. And he's really angry. He's very, very angry that really um, everything about this whole country and how it how it was started has become so perverted. I mean, they, they came here um, in the hopes of purifying everything, to start a brand new place that was accepting of all people, that allowed all people to be free and to follow their dreams and follow their religion or do whatever they wanted to do um, as long as it didn't hurt anybody else. And to have the freedom and to vote with one voice, meaning that the majority rules. What the most people, what the majority wants is going to be enacted within the within the government and ultimately spread out throughout the country. And that very quickly became diluted. 
he realized, um, not he, but they, they realized very early on that they had been contaminated. And, um, so almost from the start, it, it the, the waters had already been muddied. And from the beginning, it was a, a very small, um, number of people that were trying to dilute the, the vision that they had. But, um, you know, obviously as time has progressed, it's become that dilution has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. But really the bottom line was that they are, they're still there trying to affect change in any way that they possibly can. Okay. One of the things that you, thank you. Um, one of the things that you, you talked about too was, um, their interaction with UFOs and, and their metaphysical leanings. Can you, you want to expound on that? Well, from what I extrapolated from, um, the, the information that I was getting was that in the beginning, um, I'm talking about Washington in particular because that's who I was having the conversation with specifically. Um, in the beginning, he was visited by what he would have termed angels because I guess that's how they appeared to him because that's something that he would recognize and resonate with and not be afraid of. And then as time progressed, um, he very, he quickly realized that they weren't divine, quote unquote, divine beings, that they were galactic beings. And he would have regular conversations with these beings and they would give him information about, um, battles and about, all right, well, you're supposed to go here and, and you're supposed to go there. And, and really the turning point, um, occurred at Valley Forge, uh, right here, not too far from me. And I've driven through Valley Forge and you can, I don't know if you know the story, if everyone knows the story about Valley Forge, but it was, um, it was a horrific scene. Um, there was, it was freezing cold. There were a couple a couple of feet of snow on the ground. A lot of the soldiers didn't even have boots. And um, one soldier wrote in his diary that you could see the blood, uh, the footprints of blood in the in the snow. And they were demoralized at this point. And this is when he was visited by a, a being. He went off to be by himself just to try to gather his, his strength and try to figure out what he was going to do because really – the morale at that point was was in the toilet. There was no morale, and his men were starving, and they were freezing, and he just didn't at that point know what he was going to do. And it was then at that moment that he received um, guidance and a vision of what the United States was going to be, and he received information about where he was supposed to go from, from there and uh, where he was supposed to direct his men and how he was supposed to proceed. And we all kind of know how it turned out. But that was something that he was um, continually given at, at um, pivotal points in the Revolutionary War. He would receive guidance and uh, information about what he was to do next. So that's really where he was receiving his quote-unquote orders from. Did you get any indication as to um, who he was blaming for the changes? Who, who caused it to go wrong? Or was it when I, when I asked about that, um, I asked, I, um, I was thinking about that in my mind, like where, where, where was this coming from? And I got an image of the Declaration of Independence. And I, so all I, all I interpreted from that was that it was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. 
So I didn't really ask specifically who was the infiltrator or who were the infiltrators, but they were signers of the Declaration of Independence. That's what that's what he showed me. Well, now these infiltrators would they have been from uh, representatives of the, the evil galactic? I mean, who were they? Were they just you know people that never got it, got the message right, and and then screwed things up, or were they somebody? Is it the good and evil battle that was fought there? What I, um, what I surmised, and this wasn't given to me, but this is what I surmised from what I was shown and, and, um, the conversations that we had. It, it, I guess it would be the easiest way to explain it would be the forerunners to the Illuminati. That would be the, the easiest way to explain it. Interesting. Because Hamilton said that, um, he was very unhappy with the way the Constitution had been, um, constructed because he believed that the only guarantee of success was in the I'm, I'm you know trying to summarize or uh, just remember the basic because con- I can't tell you exactly what the, his words were although I should there's some place in front of me um, but that it was only with the good hearts and the pure hearts and the pure actions of the people that they elected. There were no constringent rules and regulations on so much. They left the Constitution very open-ended. It basically said that if the federal government is not given these rights, the federal government does not have those rights. It's still the states that can hold those rights. And the federal government was given very, very limited um, rights. They could make roads, they could make post offices, they could um, set up uh, rules and regulations regarding international trade, they could conduct war, uh, but they could only own the, the D.C. area, the uh, 10 square miles of D.C., unless war, <clears throat> they were able to capture something, or they purchased it for the federal government. Um, that is the critical understanding that people should perceive of what the founding fathers wanted to do. Now, the problem is, is that right now, two-thirds of the property in the western states is federally controlled. This is totally illegal by the Constitution. But because they're, our Constitution, the founding fathers' Constitution, has been replaced by a corporate document that claims to be the Constitution of the United States, but it's the Constitution of the United States, not for the United States, not for the people, but of the constant of the corporation, of the United States. That is is just a document of the corporation. It doesn't guarantee us anything. And so they've been able to uh, do whatever they wanted. And there's fundamental understandings that if the American people could get it, they would simply say, "Enough is enough. This is ridiculous." They would be so pissed off that the country has been stolen by a corporation. Um, but it did, I mean, I think it was Thomas Jefferson said that, you know, uh, more important, more, more, more dangerous than a standing army is the financial institutions. The entire American Revolution was um, actually conducted not because of taxes, but because the Parliament of England said that the colonies, which were doing just gangbuster economically, that they were no longer able to um, print their own money and that they had to get their money from the Bank of England. Well, 
then the taxes come due and they don't have enough money from the Bank of England. They don't have it. They never had it. They didn't want it. But that's how they had to pay their taxes. And well, how are you going to get it? We have to take out a loan. You take out a loan, they've got you. So, um, it was, it, you know, if you look at what happened right after, before the war, after the war, everything, it all comes down to finances. And that's why I, I, I was questioning, you know, you know, where, where did this, where did it change? Was it because of this fundamental flaw that so many of them saw in the Constitution to begin with? The dangers that they had not stipulated more about the financial uh, integrity of the country? I don't know. I'm just, you know, kind of talking here. <laughs> um, do you have any insight into any of the other founding fathers and, and where they may have been coming from? Was this a group or was it just George? It was basically just George, um, George and I having a conversation, having a conversation, you know, and he was, he was kind of giving me visions of, of how they would meet and they would be smoking and drinking and having fun and, and, um, I think he, he, Talked a lot about Benjamin Franklin and what, uh, just how much he loved the ladies. And, um, you know, in, during his time back in the day, during his time that he was just absolutely gorgeous and the women just absolutely fell all over him. And, um, that was really what, that was his vice was, uh, pleasures of the flesh and, and alcohol and, you know, anything else. It is amazing to think about. I mean, they were growing pot all over their farms. Actually, um, you could use marijuana to pay taxes. <laughs> well, isn't the um, aren't the documents written on hemp paper? Oh, probably. I don't know that for sure, but that would not surprise me. Well, I know there's there's quite a few copies of the Declaration of Independence, but I, I remember hearing that um, they were written on hemp paper. I don't know if that's true or not, but I remember hearing that. Funny, funny. Okay, so um, the other thing that we talked about was um, how you really wanted to relate to people uh, the differences that their animals, the, 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 let's see, the characteristics that their animals might be um, showing that indicate that they're watchers and, and you know, how, how we should be aware of some of the things that might be happening around us that we wouldn't know unless you told us. Well, um, actually, if I could tell you about my day, I could, pro I could include that. Okay, do, go, whatever, whatever way you want to go. Okay, so this is, this is not a short story, so I, I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll bear with me. But, and this also goes to the email that you sent me this afternoon. The, um, one regarding the, um, the device with the super soldiers? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, um, this morning I had a, a session with a client this morning, uh, around 11 o'clock this morning. And, um, we've had several sessions and during the sessions, um, a lot of times we will be exchanging energy or we will both be uploading energy. So whatever happens when we get together, um, we unlock something that allows us both to gain energy and information. And about a half an hour into the session, all of a sudden my phone cut off. And which was kind of strange because I use a landline. 
when I, when I connect with clients. And the phone cut off. So I have her cell phone. She has my cell phone and we're texting back and forth. And I said, all right, just give me a minute and I'll go down and I'll go into the office and, and use another phone. And I picked up the phone and there's, there's no dial tone. So, um, I thought, all right, I'll just call her back on my cell phone. So I called her back on my cell phone and we're both kind of like, what the heck's going on here? And then all of a sudden I hear, um, you have to get all the organite and all the shungite out of the room and then hang up the phone and call her back. So I gathered up everything, took it out, came back, called her back. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I kind of asked in my head, why am I doing that? And they said, because what the, what I heard was I needed to be surrounded by all of this wireless EMF energy. And I'm thinking, great. Okay. So what happened was all of a sudden both of us started getting an upload of energy and she started getting all kinds of information and energy. And this went on for about a half an hour and we, we hung up the phone and I went about my daily business and I started, you know, vacuuming and stuff. And all of a sudden I got really, really tired and I thought, all right, well, it's a little early to take a nap. So maybe I'll go meditate. It was about noon. And so I go up and I, I start meditating and all of a sudden, this thought pops into my head about um, addiction. Like, why why are people addicted to things? What what causes that? And at, simultaneously, I I could feel and I could see in my mind's eye that this cord was stuck into the right temporal lobe of my brain, and it it started to pull out. And I I thought, wow, that's pretty weird. And then that area where the cord was, it started to, to pulsate and I could feel like it was starting to, it was like an energy vortex starting to form there. And this cord kept on trying to come back, back into my brain and I kept on saying, no, you're not coming back in. And finally I was able to just release all the energy connected to it and the cord disappeared. And then all of a sudden I started to get this upload of energy. And I started having flashbacks and I looked down in my body and it looked like I had this suit on. I can't think of what they're called. Maybe you could help me out here, but they, they use them in the military. Um, it, if you don this suit, you can lift like 500 pounds with ease. You can jump like 20 feet. So we have these suits now that the military's been um, experimenting with them, but I had one of these on. And then all of a sudden it just started to melt away. And I started to just all these energies and emotions started coming up and I was just getting these flashes of all these weird kind of images. I got an image of the Borg, uh, you know, the Star Trek Borg and, and they were slowly a couple of them were solely being disengaged from the collective. Not all of them, but a few of them were being disengaged. And they were starting to wake up. So I, I assumed that that was just some kind of analogous um, vision that I was getting just so I could understand. And when I the phone rang, so I was jerked out of out of this whole thing. And I got up and I started getting images of memories of being in kindergarten and being a very happy kindergartner, just loving life and being carefree. And I had lots of friends and 
Um, I played with everyone and I loved going to school. It was just so much fun. And then between kindergarten and first grade, that's when my duck, my duck died. And, um, I remember Archangel Michael came to me at that point and he touched my forehead and said something to the effect of, um, you're, now you're gonna, now you're gonna go to sleep. And I had an image of that and then going into first grade, and when I started first grade, everything changed. Um, I was teased ruthlessly. I was bullied constantly. And this continued well on. Well, it sometimes it even continues to this day, but it was really, really bad in elementary school and middle school. And when I asked why was this occurring, they said that... Um, it was because that my, my light and my power was in another space doing something else. And I will explain how this affects the animals in a second when I get to the, when I get to that. So just stick with me here, um, please. And so as I was, as I was trying to ask some questions about what was going on and why I was experiencing this, and I was really wondering if this was really my energy or if I was just releasing this on behalf of other other people, if I was just acting as a conduit. And I still don't know the answer to that. Um, but I continued to get more and more release of energy, and I could feel all kinds of stuff swirling around in my brain. And literally, at one point, it felt like I had hit, been hit by a truck. And I went downstairs and I was kind of wandering around the kitchen. I got some water and I looked down at the dog and she looked up to me and she projectile vomited right in front of me. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And then I hear like one of the cats is, is starting to cough up a hairball. And I look over and, and William's projectile vomited, he vomited like four times. And then I look over at Hoo-Hoo's and she's projectile vomiting. So whatever energy, whatever this occurred, um, during this time, the animals were definitely playing a part of that. And then what's, what accelerated it even more, Nancy, was when I, when I took a second and I, I just, I opened up my email and I looked and I read your email. And then as soon as I read that, boom, more energy started moving. And it, it was like a, it, it just started to crescendo even more higher and higher and higher and elevating it was it was almost to the point that it was it was uncomfortable that's how much energy was moving in it wasn't outside of my body it was inside of my body and I realized that whatever was going on with me was also going on with the animals and at this point I thought "Ooh, I was getting a little nervous about Jack um and I wanted to go over and see him but it it just it turned out that I wasn't able to go see him um, which happens frequently. I, I'm not allowed to do that at certain points. But when energy is moving, and the reason I'm sharing this story is because I know that there's other people out there that feel like they've lost part of their lives and that they don't understand maybe why they're here or why they're doing stuff. But it may be that they may be doing work in other dimensions simultaneously and they're being cloaked in this lifetime so in this reality so that they can do their work in other realities 
And I was shown that one day when I was at work at my, my dental hygiene job, I, I, I'm sitting on a vortex, a very powerful vortex. And when this vortex is activated, um, car alarms will go off in the, in the parking lot. Key fobs won't work. People won't be able to get into their cars. They'll have to, with their key fob, they'll have to manually turn their locks. And so I know energetically when this area is powered up and it became apparent to me one day when I was at work that I was very much working in other dimensions simultaneously when I was doing my dental hygiene job. And had I known that previously, I probably would have bitched and complained about it and said, oh, I can't do this. It's too hard. In fact, I think I did say that at that point. And I was told, you know what, just get over it. You've been doing this for a decade. There's there's nothing different. You do this frequently. It's just now that you're becoming aware of it. So a lot of us are working simultaneously. Our animals are working so they can get um they can get lame for no reason. They can just start limping for no reason. They may start to wake you up in the middle of the night barking or meowing at you or bothering you. It's because they're trying to get your attention. Either they, they need some kind of energy release or they want you to consciously participate in what they're doing. And they may try to get your attention through their behavior or um, sometimes just their bodies can only upload so much energy and they they don't work the way they're supposed to, or they'll sleep a lot, or they'll throw up a lot, or they will be just, they won't want to be bothered with you. They'll act out of the ordinary. They'll be moody. They'll, they'll be happy one minute, and then the next minute they'll be, they don't want to be bothered. They'll become very reclusive. So if they're, if they're, Demeanor is not consistent if they're, um, if they go through periods of time where they're very, very hungry and other times where they're not eating a lot or eating, they don't want to eat at all or eat very little. That's another sign that they're, they're, um, energetically working with, um, the planet and other energies to, to, um, you know, promote our evolution. So I hope I uh, hope I got to um, the highlight or made a point at least. No, I can attest to the fact that, that what you described was newbie in the last. Well, he's he's fine now. He's back to his old self now. But there was three weeks where he was just exactly like you were saying, um, and you know it was like I my inclination was. God, he's lame. Why is he lame? And I'm watching it, and I can't quite figure it out. And I'm thinking, I better, I better go to the vet because you were in Canada. And then I'm thinking, no, this is not something the vet's ever going to see or find. And when you came back and you told me, oh, then he's running energy, and that's a, a, a sign, uh, you know, that they're doing that. Everything came into focus, and um, that, and that you recommended that I get him on Arnica, and you should tell people what the dose is so that they can do it too. If you see your animals going off a little bit or having problems, the Arnica turned him around. I did put it in rescue remedy. I did, I, uh, I took the, uh, the Arnica instead of using water, I put it in with rescue remedy. So he was getting a dose of rescue remedy with the Arnica. Well, the Arnica was very specific for his, um, for his set of symptoms, and that's how homeopathy works. So for his set of symptoms, Arnica was the, the appropriate remedy. But for, for other symptoms such as nausea and vomiting and lethargy and, and so forth, it would be a, it would be a different remedy. And that's kind of hard to distinguish 
without knowing very specifically what the set of symptoms are. Uh, understood. Understood. Very good. Walt, any any comments here? Uh, no, I'm just listening to all this new info. But if from uh, what Jean was saying in the beginning, from that wire coming out of her temple, the whole imagery made me think of the control mechanisms, you know, being dismantled. Because whatever energetic... That's, that's one of the things that um, Andrew Bartzis speaks a lot of, about. Um, like when he tells people, don't go to sleep and put your cell phone on the nightstand or the night table uh, because they actually can access your dreams that way. And he talks about uh, electronic parasites being broadcast through the Internet. So obviously at the etheric level, there are several control technologies out there, and Gene's description made it sound like whatever it is, it's actually being dismantled or is just collapsing. It's being torn down. Right. Well, interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, Nancy. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's interesting, Walt, that you were talking about electronic devices because when I, when I work with clients, I remove implants. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because it so frequently happens that um, people have implants in their computers. You know, if we're on Skype, you can, you can, you, it's obvious that they've been released out of the computer and out of their cell phone. So it's interesting that you, that you said that. Cause I've, I've found the same thing. Mm hmm. And that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that's one of the benefits of the, uh, I have to plug product here. <laughs> one of the benefits of the Shanghai sticker because it's constantly, uh, Turning, changing the spin of the energy. If you get a, a parasite that wants to come out of your device, it's not going to. It's just going to get dissolved because it, the, for those things to work, they need to have a negative spin. And the Shanghai just eats that up and changes it to positive, and therefore it disables that that energy. It, by transmuting the energy signature, it disables the etheric uh, entity, meaning you know the implant. Did you do you have stickers on your computer? Did Nancy send you some? I have stickers everywhere, Walt. My husband wants to know what are those what's that silver shit that's all over the place? <laughs> Actually, okay. uh you're referencing and what's that black shit and the coconut oil and blah 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 blah. <laughs> Actually, Walt, you were referencing the S four sticker, correct? Versus the uh, buck band aid. Uh well the ones that we right now this is the one that we uh Aren't all the stickers that we make right now the 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 S4 and regular powder combined? Aren't, no, we, we we no we have the we have the Bucky Band-Aids, just the powder, the original ones. They're, they're fine for elect, electrical devices. Oh, okay. Refrigerators and washing machines and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. when you're when you're dealing with electronics and an electronic device is something that communicates, either music or voice or TV or whatever. But those things need the S4, uh, Shungite boost to yeah. get into the, uh, to cover all of the frequencies. Because, because you're dealing with high frequencies. Yeah. The square, the square wave is bringing in this shit. Plus it's a high frequency type deal. Yes. Uh, electric stuff, it's all, you know, 60 hertz, very low frequency stuff. Exactly. Well, That's all, why we All of mine disappeared. Them. I'm Say sorry? Again? All of mine disappeared. Remember you sent me a, you sent me a bunch of stuff and it, it just disappeared into, into, my cat disappeared and that stuff disappeared on the same day. My cat came back though. 
<laughs> so did you ask her what she did with it? <laughs> she said they were using it in in another place. So and I I keep waiting to find it. I expect it to show up at some point, but um, it hasn't done so as of yet. Maybe she didn't take it somewhere. She th- she took it somewhere. That's a good one, Walt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, listen, we're at the um, getting to the top of the hour, and um, when we come back, I think that what we'll do is we'll um, because we did cover this in the last show that Jean was on with us. Uh, regarding the super soldier, but I want to cover that again with a little bit more um, depth than we did that time because we were rushed for time. Um, and to explain, uh, well, this whole concept of mind control and um, also the question of is it place or time? Is it, you know, what is it? Place and space equals time. Which one were you, which, where are you, where are you evolving? What, what are you involved with? So, um, I guess that you probably, Walt, have sent uh, Colleen some music, yes? Back. <laughs> okay, good. That was amazing music. I really did enjoy that. Jean, do you want to set it up as to um, the fact that uh, you've got a client and you you seem to be, you know, feeling super spook uh, in, in energy in him? You want to set it up? Um, yeah, I had this client uh, a couple weeks ago, and he he just found me it was a fluke how he even found me and um he said that as soon as he saw my website and saw me he knew that he had to uh he had to have a session with me and during almost in the uh, pretty early on in the session i started um getting this image of a very powerful human i i, I described it as um wesley Sli- wesley snipes and um, very muscular and, and so forth. And I kept on hearing in my head, super soldier, super soldier. And it kind of freaked me out a little bit because I don't know anything about super or I, I, I didn't know anything about super soldiers. And I wasn't sure that um, whatever was going to happen, that I would be prepared to deal with it. And I started to get a little nervous. And, and I settled, and after a minute, I settled down and I thought, you know what, I if, if this is coming up, I can deal with it. So um, when I verbalized it to the client, he he said it, it rang true with him, and it's something that he had been looking into. Um, he had been doing research on it very, very recently, and it's something that he definitely felt like he resonated with. And um, over the course of the session, we realized that um, he was a super soldier, and he had uh, programming embedded within him, and he... From the time he was, oh, I think he was five years old until he was about 43 or 47, I forget the exact age, he had been working as a, as a super soldier. And the other thing that was um, significant about him was that um, he was switched at birth. So in other words, the, the soul that, was, um, that occupied the baby at birth was switched very quickly after and um, it was switched with his soul, so he he. It was almost like that um, that one soul was just occupying the space until um, this this person's um, soul could inhabit it. And I also want to mention that that I do have this gentleman's permission to speak about this. I did ask his permission. I, I wouldn't talk about a client um, without 
their permission. So I, I wanted to mention that. But that that's basically a summation of what, what occurred. Okay, now, regarding the switching of the souls, Walt has explained to us, well, Walt, explain it again, uh, what Andrew said about the switching of souls. Um, yes, this subject came up when he was doing a reading for a lady who had had two miscarriages, and finally she gave birth to a baby girl. And as the, ba- as the baby is growing up, she's astounded by the things that this little girl can do. And she doesn't understand, you know, why. And then Andrew explained that how the girl is a very special soul who's here and she is going to be heavily involved with sound healing. That's what he described at the time. And he explained also why she had the miscarriages. He says the system of domination and control is always on the lookout for special souls that have the potential to wake up people and to change the game. So they literally interfere with the mother so that she'll lose the baby. So one of the techniques, you know, that I, I guess it must be done by the teams of guides, they'll just choose a garden variety soul, you know, to volunteer to come into the baby's body so the baby can grow to full term and be born. So at the moment of birth, when the baby is, the body's, the baby's body is separate from the body of the Are we back? Hello? Are we back? I'm here. I'm here. I'm, uh, Walt's still not here. Well, that was weird, because Walt was talking. Yeah. And he's not coming back. Well, let me see. Let me see. Walt? I still see the little bubbles. wonder yeah. if he's... Walt? I wonder if he knows he... Went. Rebooted Skype. He's rebooted Skype. Okay. Okay. So we'll just wait for him to come back. Yeah. All right, Gene. When uh, you you know what he's he's going to tell us. Um, did you feel that this was uh, that situation where um, the your client came into the body because he was carrying information and energy? Um, what, what was your take on that? I had never encountered that before, so I had nothing to reference it to. So basically, I just shared with him the interpretation, you know, the, the information that I was getting, and he validated that for me. He told me that um, he had had a, a psychic also um, tell him that that he was his his energy came in after the the baby was born. So that was also validated by someone else. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? Um, the, the, the client had, had a, uh, a psychic tell him also that he, the same thing that, um, that he had been switched at birth. He kind of came in after the baby was born. So, um, I had never heard of that previously. So I, I didn't really understand what it was, but I just shared with him what the information that I was getting and, and he did validate for me that that was, um, that he had been told that by other people. Okay, because when one of the things that seems to be um, prevalent in the super soldier environment is um, the genetics. That it's either genetics or it's the fact that their families are associated with the military-industrial secret 
complex. And I'm wondering, the little child that was there, the, the, the genetics of that child were set to be a super soldier. The being that came in is not necessarily, was not necessarily to do that, but they've come in to experience that so that they, then they can awaken at a faster rate or awaken, in, in fact, just awaken to be able to make a difference in the story, let's say. How do you feel about that? I, I'm not, I'm not following what you're saying. Okay, super soldiers, the, the, the super soldiers that have come out, okay, um, in many ways it seems like their parents are knowing that this is happening. That there's some. Oh, so in other words, you mean like their parents are signing them up for this? Maybe, or that it's a genetic thing. But the parents, I, I, you know, every time I listen to one of them, it seems like the parents were in the know somehow. Now, maybe not to, to understand it all, but there was some kind of um, agreement by the parents. Um, now, I may be wrong about this, but if that is so, um, what I, I'm interested in why they would make that, that change. Because it would seem to me if there is some kind of a, a genetic connection to being a super soldier or that your parental, there has to be parental consent or something like that, why at the last moment would they switch somebody else? It's almost like he was sent here with a specific mission to take that person's role, position, go through it to understand it, and then be able to arrive at some kind of an understanding and be able to tell people, to enlighten people. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure because I did ask him about that, and from what I understand, um, his family had no connection to the military. Um, but, however, this, this gentleman was in the Army and the Navy. So he himself, he himself, right, he himself was, and it does seem that the Navy is the, the main culprit in here. Uh, for all of my, um, for all of my experiences in, in any of this field, it seems like every time I turn around, the Navy turns up. So, and a lot of people have, you know, who have come out have been somehow associated with the Navy, often coming from another part of the military. So he's he's really following a pattern. I mean, it's not like this is not something that we've seen before. Well, do you think, Nancy, I'm sorry to interrupt here. No, no, go ahead. That, you know, the Navy, they have to spend so many months out at sea, kind of incommunicado with everyone else. So I'm wondering if that's not a whole part of that. Um, that way nobody knows what's going on except those maybe on the ship. Exactly. Now, we need to get Walt here because he needs to talk about what happened that started this thing up or continued the thing up. Um, he's asking who's initiating the call. You want to put through a call to him? Yeah, let me see if I can add him back on here. Poor Walt, he thinks we've ignored him. Okay. All right, now we've got him calling. Is he there? <clears throat> you know, Nancy, too, the other thing to think about, too, is is they're out in the vast ocean, and there's so much out there in the ocean that we don't even know about, and there's so many things occur that we never hear about. And if something, quote-unquote, supernatural does occur, um, 
it it's easily contained because you can quiet all those people that are on that ship. It's a very contained uh, civilization, and it's very it would be very easy to put everything in lockdown, keep the information where it is or, or the occurrences or the experiences that they're having and, and not let it leak out into the general population. That That's exactly true. And, in fact, one of the funniest things or one of the oddest things that um, <clears throat> because every once in a while you'll hear about something that happens out to sea that somebody, you know, whistleblows on. And in this occasion, it was, I think it was 2012, there was a... Um, you remember when, uh, I believe it was Iran was taking and those small boats and they were going out to the U.S. fleet and they were, you know, like threatening the, with these small boats to attack the U.S. fleet. You remember when all that was going on? Anybody? Well, it was going on. And what happened was that there were a number of reporters on this, on, with, with one of these, these ships. They were, you know, with the fleet and it was really heating up, and the these little ships came after them. I mean, compl- like like they knew that they were going to get hit because they just weren't stopping. And all of a sudden, they all just disappeared. And the, the press saw it. There was rumors from the press. There was a lot of all of a sudden, uh, David was one of them, and other people were going like, wow, we're hearing these weird things from the press that were on this thing, you know, and they've all been told not to talk about it. And um, so it it sort of like hit the, <clears throat> it, it, the the people that were really paying attention saw it, but it didn't really go anyplace. So um, I don't I don't know what to tell you, but except for the fact that you're right, there, the Navy is involved, and there the Navy is isolated um, in many ways that we wouldn't understand, and they do go out to these parts of the ocean that whoever I mean, what what do we know what happens out there? You're right, it could be you know it goes back to that concept of. Um, when I was a kid, one day, the first, I think, metaphysical thought I had was I was leaving the, the room, and I remember it was the weekend, and we were leaving the, the room, the, the school room for weekend, and for some reason, I don't know if somebody said something to me or it just popped into my head, but I thought, I wonder what happens when we leave. Do those chairs stay there? Do the desks stay there? Does something else happen? It was just the strangest thought that I had, but it could be that way for the middle of the ocean, too, you know? <laughs> We don't know. But we do know that Walt is back with us. And the next part of this story, okay, Gina told me that um, that story, you know, and then an hour later um, I'm on Skype with Walt, and Walt proceeds to tell me about a lucid dream that he had that he um, just needed some clarification on. Now, when he does a shamanic journey, I can actually go to where he goes and see what he sees remote viewing. But in a lucid dream, that's not possible. It's in his head. So all I can do is be a sounding board and then try to uh, get downloads as to what might be happening. So, Walt, um, will you tell the story about, you know, finding yourself on a ship? Uh, well, the one where I saw that device? Yeah, but start it from where, because we're talking about the ships. Start it from when you, you first realized, the, with the ring, when you were looking over the, at the ocean. The the ring on your hand was not your not your ring. Oh, that was the um, the shamanic journey I did for this gentleman, where that went. Well, that was the shamanic journey. Yeah. Okay. All right. Give the lucid dream first. Uh, the one where I saw that device. Yes. Yes. Well, the in the in the dream I was 
I was I I was aware that I was not in this in this reality, and I was like many dreams of late. I am having a hard time telling them apart. I'm always dealing with some kind of technical equipment or computer equipment or some kind of technology. And at one point, I'm trying to get into this other place. And I look to my right and I see like a rack on the wall, like a gun rack. And, and in each of the hooks, there was a device. It was in to my scale, to from my point of view in the dream, it looked to be about the size of an old-style wooden crutch, the one that, you know, you put, you prop up under your arm. Uh, but it was all shiny metal, like it was made of aluminum. And I remember I made a sketch for you. And in that, in the dream, somebody picked one up and kind of pointed it at me. And I waved my hand in front of it because I wanted to see if I could sense something. I, I couldn't feel anything or sense anything coming out of the device. And that's when somebody said, you you couldn't go back. What was it? You can't go back to your reality. You know, you, that all reality has been destroyed. You can't go back to your... Well, you saw that you saw that little girl or that woman. And, yeah, and that's when I, I had to... I confronted this woman because it was her betrayal that was, uh, inter- that was not allowing me to go back to my reality, it had to do with her, and it turned out that she just followed orders, and that's when the the dream got so crazy that I, she took me to these two characters that supposedly were a king and a queen, and for some crazy reason the <laughs> the queen would lie down on a bed and she would literally turn into the into the sheet on the bed, like like satin sheets, you know, nice and shiny, and for some inexplicable reason all around the edge of the bed there were like a like a ring of little flames but it wouldn't burn anything they were just there so and she would do that it would be a human body and then it would transmute into this shiny sheet so when she transmuted i took i saw that as my chance and i grabbed the sheet and i rolled it into a ball and i threatened the king with it and i said here Here's a, so here's your queen, and you're not getting your queen back until you give me back my reality. And that was when the dream went poof and didn't see anything else. So that was as crazy as they come, dream-wise. <laughs> well, what happened? What happened? Excuse me, little major. Um, what happened was that he called me up and he asked me to listen to the dream and see if I got any downloads about it. And what happened was that. When he started describing that device that was the size of a crutch and showed me the picture, um, all of a sudden I'm seeing Super Soldier and that this is what uh, implants the um, the artificial memory so that they can't remember being a Super Soldier or being part of the breakaway civilization. And I stopped. My, my brain kicked in and said, Ah, Gene just talked about Super Soldiers. I'm superseding this onto what he's saying. This is not a real download. And then I'm going like, is it? Or is it coincidence that she told me that? And now he's saying this? Why is this happening? And he's had this dream last night. Now she's telling me about this client that she's had. And is this connected? And I was getting, yes, yes, it's connected. It's not you doing it. It's it. Listen, listen, pay attention. So I'm looking at this thing, and I started to... um Well, what happens is that if 
it's this device actually exists someplace, okay, then, and I'm imaging it, I can remote view it. It's sort of like it becomes a target in my mind, and I just, wherever it is, I go. And so now I'm seeing this thing that he's he's given me this, I understand what it's looking like. It's all metallic. He he showed me a drawing of it, but it's all metallic. And in the center part of it, there is a a, 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 a spiral. It's just simply a, so like a like what we make. And then there's a bigger part, and in there is the programming system of these artificial memories. But it's little. It's tiny. It's not big at all. It's like a like a hypodermic needle, about that size. And so I'm going like, why is he seeing it big? And then I get connected to Gene again, and I realize, oh, okay, okay, there is a connection here. And if Walt is connected somehow to this client of hers... Either that they're being of the same spiritual essence or soul, or that they're um, on the same journey of some sort. There's some kind of a connection, and so we're getting this bleed over of information. So what it, what's it saying to me? Well, what it was saying to me is that in the mind of the client, and therefore in Walt's mind, this thing is huge. Because it's the last thing that was there in their real reality, the one that they had experienced. And the next thing they know, they've got total different memories and don't even remember anything. So um, it became very apparent to me that this was a key to being able to unlock the memories of all these people that have had artificial memories implanted. Um, but I didn't have any clarification as to what to do with this information, and I knew that, okay, this is, this is just information that we need. Um, I need to know more. And because Walt is a shamanic journeyer, and because um, this client was obviously willing to pursue, uh, let's say, etheric science in order to find truth, um, I asked Gene to ask him if he would allow Walt to do a shamanic journey. So, Walt, take it from here. You did a shamanic journey for him. Yes? Walt? Sorry, got was muted. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, this was um, different from other journeys because I'm always witnessing something in a shamanic journey. You're seeing a place or a space or the person's guides or a device, so you, you're always like in the third person looking at something. Um, the dream, the shamanic journey had two distinct parts. The beginning part, it was a first person view. I was the character that was seeing what was happening. And whoever I was, I, I never claimed to be the, this gentleman. I just relayed what I experienced. If it's him, it's him. If it's not, it's gotta be somebody else. Uh, this character was leaning all over there. He was leaning, his arms were, uh, he was leaning over with his elbows on the railing on the uh, on the bow of a ship. And he was looking out at the ocean. It must have been the open ocean because huge waves, huge swells, uh, like choppy type ocean. And then the character, uh, he, he stood up straight and he turned around and looked at the place 
And I've seen enough movies to know what a destroyer looks like. So he was standing on the deck of a destroyer. So then he goes into the destroyer, and you have these tiny cramped corridors, and he walked over to what looked like a medical bay, and there was a medical officer there. So he was given instructions to, you know, roll up your shirt sleeve and lay down on this, it looked like a gurney-type bed. And he he got injected, and the first thing I noticed was he couldn't control his eyes. His eyes just started rolling back and forth until he went out. Then the next thing that happened is uh, he is perceiving a combination of images and sound, like he's wearing headphones or something, because you would hear this droning voice going on and on, and there would be images flashing in front of his, of his eyes. And I noticed couldn't couldn't close the eyes, couldn't move them sideways to stop looking at the images, couldn't feel the arms, couldn't feel the legs, and the the droning of the voice seemed to accompany the images. So like one image would make you feel good, then another image would make you feel sick, and another image would make you feel scared and, and so on and so forth. Each image had some kind of had some impact on him on this character and there was a, a corresponding uh, wordage accompanying each image. So that, uh, again, that went out, like the person went unconscious. And next time he opens his eyes, he's in his bunk, in his cabin, he's waking up. So he gets up and he gets dressed. But the first thing that I noticed that was the distinctive, I guess this is the part where I was separate from this individual is that whereas I remembered what just happened, he absolutely had no recollection of what had he, he had gone through. And he gets dressed and he goes out on the car and he hears from somebody that they're docked and immediately he felt this sense that it didn't make sense. How can they be docked? Because some part of him, some level of his consciousness was aware that they were not docked, that they were in the middle of the ocean somewhere. But he, he didn't understand why it didn't feel right. He didn't question it. So as he's walking in the corridor, something, somebody hangs him a card and tells him to report to, you know, get off the boat and report to some officer somewhere. And that was the end of that first sequence of the, uh, the journey. Uh, in the next sequence, I'm able to, um, meet with his guides, and this is one of the things I tell people, I mean, don't expect your guides, don't ascribe any specific look or view, uh, I guess all bets are off when you're on the other side, because I've seen guides dressed in ancient attire, others are dressed in futur futuristic attire, these, there were three guys, and they were dressed like, uh, remember the Dr. Kildare movies, <laughs> the, the TV series, Dr. Kildare, how they were you know, the, the things that, the, the clothing that the, uh, the uniforms that the doctors would wear. And the three of them were around like a, like a dentist chair, but where there was a, a figure there, semi-reclined. And that was the subject. That was the, the man that I'm supposed to be doing the journey for. And that's when I ask, you know, what's, what's going on? You know, what, uh, 
what's what's happening with him. Um, they, he, what was it? They they explained. Um, they need. He needed to get to he he needs to purge out of his body the chemistry from the drugs that were used in him. So they showed me that that's when they pointed to the chair and I had to come over and look. And the character is, is reclining. The eyes are closed. And all of a sudden, the head becomes transparent so you can see inside the brain. And they showed me how toward the back of the brain, where the optic stuff gets recorded, the, the drugs they used on him have a kind of binding agent. So they actually stay in your system. Your body doesn't metabolize them, doesn't get rid of them. And that's why they're able to keep that implant in there. And, and he says that's why he needs to ingest Shanghai because it can break up the chemistry of this and he, his body can eliminate this. And they were very clear that it was not going to be easy. He was going to have to tough it out because he was going to experience all kinds of things. Uh, he, they were specific in the sense that they said one moment he will feel that he's in the present and another moment he's going to feel that he's in the past. And then another moment he won't be sure where he is. And that's just on the perception side. There will also be physical symptoms. They weren't specific on that. Um, also, uh, the gentleman, <laughs> the gentleman was not too happy to be informed of his guide's uh, uh, sense of humor, which is guides are notorious for having a sense of humor because we as humans, we're so focused on survival and day-to-day living that we, uh, on, most of us turn into drama queens because we get, you know, hysterical about anything and everything, you know, oh, the money, oh, the job, or oh, this or that. Well, since they can see the entire playing board, they don't care about that. They know what's going to happen, so there's nothing to worry about. So, and I have experienced that myself when we were desperate to find where we're, are we going to live, and they kept telling us, you know, it's already taken care of. You know, stop worrying about it. So, <laughs> I when I asked them, you know, Wayne, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying this gentleman's name. Uh, he wants to know about his, what he's going to do for work or what's going to happen, you know, with his work. And then one of the other, the other two guys that were in the background and weren't talking much, one look, uh, he says, well, he could charge consulting fees and help other guys that are in the same boat as he is. And he looked, and they looked at each other and they laughed. And he thought that that was a kind of a crass comment. But the uh, the first guy, the one that had started talking to me, he was very laconic, and he says, "Yeah, it's he. It, it'll be up to him, but he isn't up." He the reason he did this, he knew he was subjecting himself to this, this mind control thing, what they did to him, but he did it for a reason. He knew he could come back. It was like a little tiny thread of his true consciousness was left connected. Because when they, he explained that they are able, and I said, is this something, you know, can this thing carry over from one life to another life? And he said, no, all that they can do is affect the body, therefore affecting the low soul, the soul of the body, not the high soul. 
So the, high, the, the programming takes the high soul and kind of pushes it to the background. So, but there was just that little bit of a thread of his awareness of what had happened stayed there. And because it stayed there, I mean, it gave him enough presence of mind that he knew he needed help. And, and he, you know, his own higher consciousness led him to find Gene. And that, were, that, that got the, the ball rolling to get to where he is now. Because then he is in a special position where he can assist those that don't know how to get back. Because the imprinting and the programming is so deep and so pervasive and, you know, insidious and you can use all the negative adjectives you want. It is nothing less than stealing the life of a living being. So. The life because of their memories. Yeah. You, you come here to make the memories, gain the experiences, and now they've taken that all away from you. All and of that is out of your life. Right. Um, I, th- I think it's real. well, I'm, I'm, the, the fact that the guides laughed about, um, he could charge money, you know, I mean, that just could be because that's what humans do. <laughs> you know, they get a little information and then they try to charge money for it. And, um, it might be be that kind of a situation, but it also could be that the guides already know that it's already happened. The fact that he was led to Gene, and Gene was able to bring this into the to the to the mix, and that you were able to do another journey for him and get more information, um, has allowed us to essentially have a key into disconnecting all of those digital or artificial thought forms that are in their brains all of them because inevitably i mean i i've heard from so many um different ones you know that we hear um uh cory good um uh randy kramer oh what's his name um the one that camelot did very early in the game uh dave corso the guy that built wolf spirit um uh uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Duncan. Duncan, uh, Finnegan. He, oh, O'Finn. No, it's O'Finnegan, isn't it? I think it's O'Finnegan. O'Finnegan. Okay. Colleen's typing his name for me. Um, all of these people just display a tremendous amount of humanity and patriotism. And I firmly am convinced that that was one of the other stupid things that they did in this whole scheme of theirs, was that they bet there was no super consciousness named Gaia, and they bet against this kind of a person who I think I am in that we took an oath. We took an oath to protect this country against all enemies foreign and domestic and I can't tell you how deeply ingrained the oath keepers are with that concept that we have a mission to protect the country not the homeland but the country now we've taken it farther and we can now understand that it's the world it's it's mother earth herself it's it's one family and we've got a breakaway civilization that has super soldiers and mind-controlled people, and now they're trying to do the same. They are effectively doing the same 
uh, right here on uh, on Earth itself. But none of this is necessary and none of it's required, and, and we can stop it all simply by believing that we can operate in the etheric. This is a, it's a battlefield of thought. So understanding concepts like this, I realized that that device was the key. And I knew immediately that um, we could go back into time and we could, re we could program in a, 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 a virus-like thing that would stay with the core of the programming so that the original core programming, and then there'll be all these other stuff that changes, stays the same. And that it could be embedded in there so that they, sure, they're going to change everybody's memories, but something will trigger a remembrance. Something will make that program that they've put in not to be the default program, but to be deleted. And that their actual experiences and knowledge will come through. I firmly believe that at the time that we're talking. Now, I didn't get any... Nancy, not to interrupt, but I can tell you it kicked my ass... How so? Well, and the experience I had t today. So that yes. virus, whatever that, and I and I know it affected my animals. So I know it worked. Well, what happened was that um, last night it started to. Uh, I started focusing on it, and that's an indicator to me that okay, we got to deal with this now. And um, so I went to sleep just like okay, well, you know, just kind of meditating on it. What are we supposed to do? Trying to get connected to the very concept of, of doing something like this. And um, in the morning, I, I got up, and I got up at exactly 11.11, because I was up until 3 in the morning, but I got up at 11.11. I looked at the clock, and it was 11.11. I said, okay, this is it then. And um, I went, and I, I sat down, and I said, okay, what are we supposed to do? And I, I play out in my own head imagined stories. Okay, Walt and I do this often when we just say, well, what if we did this or what if we did that? And, and we sort of get, get into the imagining of the story until we are getting actual guidance um, uh, as to where the story is really gone because it's already happening. Um, so you just kind of follow that. Well, so I, the first thing I said was, well, if I've got to go in there, I don't want to go in there without Walt. And it was like, no, no, Walt can't go with you. And I'm going like, oh, crap, okay. And... Um, I'm, I'm get, I'm walking. I'm really kind of like, I was going through my, my eyes started going a thousand miles a minute. Like, okay, what do I do now? Because one of the things you don't want to do is get lost out there. You need grounding. And, um, so Gaia says to me, I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. You're not going to get in trouble. We got to do this quietly. We can't leave a signature. And it was like, oh, okay, you know. And, um, so I said, okay, well, just point me in the right direction. And I get the, I get the picture of the device, but not like I, I only real. I, I realized I, that it was the device, but it was the um, the bigger part of the device where all of the programming is, and so that became the target. And I was like, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, because one of the things about remote viewing, like in shamanic journeying, is that your size is not defined. You can be as big or as little as you want to be. And I can actually remote view down to the, uh, you know, down to the uh, quantum level. So I'm inside of this machine and I'm like inside the programming, but this is all, I'm not a programmer. I'm not capable of reprogramming or doing anything like this. But what they did was they showed me the image of the device that they were using that Walt had, had, had drawn for me. 
And now I knew what it was. I mean, to me, it was a solid device. It was like a hypodermic needle type of thing, but that, that symbol. Um, and they said, now the symbol is carrying all of the programming. It's just for you and for everybody that will be triggered by this, the 3D reality. Um, this is a symbol carrying a tremendous amount of information with it. And we know that's why sacred geometry and, and certain uh, paintings and, and images are just so full of energy. It's because there's actually programming that we don't realize when we see it what's happening to our brains. Um, this w this was is what this thing was all about. But for, for myself and for everybody afterwards, it's the symbol of this particular device. And so I got it, okay, I put it in there and I let it go. And when I let it go, the dang thing just took off traveling at like... <laughs> It just, and I look, and I'm looking down like a tunnel, and all there I see is a matrix of numbers flashing. Of course, they're green, and they're flashing all over the place. And this thing is just going on into the future because, of course, where we went to do this was back in the past when this whole thing started up. So it's been in the, um, in the programming unknown to them. And they've been injecting this, and this device actually, they somehow connect it to the ear. I don't understand it, but I think it's, it's a toning thing. It's, this, it's the same stuff that Walt and I have been dealing with, um, but in a much more advanced way. And so um, the toning on the eardrum actually is what's programming the, the system. And um, so anyways, it, it carries this little virus. Now, what happens is that, some people just, it starts to break down whether the chemistry that's holding this implant, implanted information is breaking down or whether they're just overpowering it energetically. But, and we're going to get the image out, um, in many subtle ways, as many as I can think of, but mostly because I'm, we're going to, you, you guys are going to look at it. Once you look at it, you're going to imprint it into the super consciousness. And once it's in there, it's just going to feed down to all these super soldiers. But in many cases, if they see it, they will suddenly start to have a disintegration of the old, of the digital programming so that their own experiences will come through. Now, I did this at, like I say, between 11 and 12. When did you start having these effects, Gene? Early in the morning or after? As soon as I was done with my client around noon, that's when I felt really super tired and that's when I went to go lay down and meditate. So that's what happened is that it already had entered the super consciousness and was feeding down to the people that could handle it right off the bat, i.e. you and the watchers. Correct? Yeah, and you know, I I'm I'm interested to find out if it if it's something that I was just um energetically facilitating or was it something that it was really personal for me and I was really this you know the visions that I was seeing probably both so Nancy question yeah um, so when you were you literally went into the device and in your in, in what you were remote viewing you were altering the program or adding something into the program Correct. Adding. Oh. Okay. And when this, when this image, when somebody w who's been through it and has got the uh, digital memory in it, when they see that image, that image is going to activate the subprogram. Okay. Which is then going to essentially cause the subprogram, the digital program, to not be the default program in their minds. 
And Gaia said, um, she said, it's not going to be abrupt. She said, it's the program is uh, designed to sort of like, like you were seeing in your lucid dreaming about the, or I mean in the uh, shamanic journey about the images and the emotions and how they were doing yeah. that to him. Okay. Well, it's like the reversal. So they're going to have them start remembering things that are not going to be highly emotional so that they can start to get their bearings. Why am I think, why do I know that? You know, without any emotion to it. So that by the time that they realize that they had another life where they may have loved other people and those people are now gone, instead of going into a state of grief that could destroy somebody, if that's the initial thing that they remembered, they're going to be, the program is designed to let them remember things in a slow and very systematic way so that they can get through this without too much harm. You know, that's kind of what happened to, I'm sorry, well, I mean interrupt, but that's kind of what happened to me today. I was, I was releasing these, these memories and I was, um, I was releasing the emotion, the, the physical release of the emotion without releasing the emotion itself. So the, the body was releasing, but the emotional body wasn't, it wasn't coupled with the emotional body release. That would be, that would be my understanding of how it should feel. Because it's 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 just getting rid of. I mean, probably. Well, it's not even yours. It's implanted, so it makes it makes perfect sense because it the stuff is implanted into the person. It's not even your own experience that you draw in. Because when you, when you have an experience, you make an emotional connection to it, whatever the experience is. Correct. So the way it incorporates into your consciousness is different from this other method, which is completely artificial. Yes, they they make the implantation. But it has nothing to do with you. It has no reference to you. It's just, it's like, you know, forcing a wrong size shoe into your foot. <laughs> in, actual, in actuality, when they put you through the um, exercise of the emotions and looking at different pictures and for, forcing you, for, they, they were actually taking a brain scan to know where the emotional triggers were. Makes sense. You know, they, they need, they have to do this by the individual. It can't be done in a group way, at least not yet. They would love it if they could, but we're all too individual to be able to get, they can get, they can get areas, they can get a range of frequency that, you know, will work with, with, with X program. But to specifically do what they're doing to these people, they have to, um, they have to understand the mechanism of that. It's like, they, it's like they have to know which hard drive is being used in the computer. Yep. So we're at the um, end of the show. Another great show, I think. I had fun. Um, anybody want to say anything else, Gene? Nope. I'm. Uh, I'm good. I think. Is Jean going to be available for next week, or you're booked? <laughs> She's doing every other week, I think. Oh, right. okay. I mean, you're welcome. You're welcome every single time. We always have a good time with you. Just, you know, feel it out and what feels right. Well, thank you. If I, if, uh, next Tuesday night is available, I'll be here. Oh, real quick, I wanted to, I wanted to just mention something else. I forgot about the, the founding fathers. Um, and you may already know this. I, I don't know. But when, um, when Jefferson set out Lewis and Clark to, to, um, explore the land, he did so, um, to, cause he knew that there were land claims out there. And if the land claims were found, we the United States wouldn't have been able to expand the way it did. 
So that was one of the reasons why uh, Lewis and Clark were sent out there and um, was to find these land claims and destroy them so the, the United States could expand. I thought that was an interesting fact. Well, and interestingly enough, on um, the History Channel, they did a uh, analysis of um, what's the, the oh, what is it? It's America Unearthed, and they did an analysis of uh, Meriwether Lewis's death because I don't know if you know the story about that that he it was uh, supposedly had committed suicide. Um, however, he committed suicide by shooting himself in the sh- in the uh, chest and then shooting himself in the head, where he just you know destroyed the, <laughs> the skull. And um, this is such a fascinating thing. So anyway, um, when this guy and I can't think of his name was was researching this, he found out that Meriwether Walter Scott, yes, and he was one of the uh, that Meriwether was one of the um, a Freemason. And that when he had died, he had the Freemason uh, apron on his in his pocket, and that the um, apron had ended up in the the some Freemason lodge. I don't even remember where where um, Scott went to, and got convinced these people to take a DNA sample of the blood that was still on the apron. And they found out that it was not Meriwether's blood; it was somebody else's blood. And so Meriwether was assassinated because he found those claims. Now, and, th- these claims that you referred to, these are claimed by the indigenous nations. No, this was no. They were, ten- they were by the Vikings. They were Templars. I mean, so many, so many people came to the United States and claimed land. Far, I mean, we all, you know, before Christopher Columbus, and all these land claims were out there, and they had been some had been there for quite, you know, centuries and centuries. Well, the supposition is, is that he actually found that proof, and that meant that the Louisiana purchased it. What did wasn't even French, you know, the whole thing was bogus, <clears throat> and that to keep that quiet, he was assassinated. So well, that makes complete sense. But how are these claims? Okay, so you go out and you find that somebody else claims this land. How was that claim being enforced or enacted or protected? Or that's what doesn't make sense to me. Well, at that time, all you had to do was put a stone marker that you claimed X amount of acreage or whatever. And sometimes they were um, a series of markers. But by the law at that time, okay, which was common law, it was not the king's law at that time. Let me think. No, it was. No, it was common law. Um, you were marking your uh, your claim to that land, and everybody agreed to that. Now that changed later, but at that time, if you put a specific marker up, then that meant it was yours. So he had to destroy the markers. No, he no. Nobody knows what happened with the markers. They, they, I can't remember. They were they it was specific as to some group that there had been reports of. Um, uh, the, that, that, that this group of, of Indians had, uh, Native Americans, uh, had be, looked like they had, um, white blood in them. And that particular very large. Oh, you mean the ones who survived Karatuan? I'm not familiar with that. Or you had Native Americans that had red hair and white skin? 
Exactly. It was the same sort of thing. I'm not sure because it was probably happening all the place. But they actually went, the, the specific way that they went, the pathway that they took, was to go through that area because there was supposedly land claims by, I don't know, the Scandinavians or somebody, somebody different, that would not would they then have taken it away from the French because they came after. And at that point, um, the uh, purchase of the, the Louisiana Purchase would have been null and void. And it would have thrown international politics into a complete array. But anyway, that was uh, America Unearthed. And uh, Scott, what's his last name again, Gene? Walter. W-O-L-T-E-R, I think. That's it. Yeah, Walter. Most of the time he finds nothing, but this time he found <laughs> he actually accomplished something. So, yes, um, thank you for that. And uh, now you're updated on... Uh, the assassination, not the suicide, of Meriwether Lewis, who was a Freemason, by the way. So what happened to Clark? I don't really know. I didn't see a program on him. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, most of those guys, all of the, if it's my understanding that most of them, if not all, the so-called fathers of the nation, they were all Masons. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, George and Ben and... Oh, they all were. That, that, that It all goes back to the Freemason. Uh, they were extremely powerful at the time. You know, and still are, but we don't... Yeah, I remember an astrologer in New York explaining to me that uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, uh, it was signed at... 2-something a.m. or 3-something a.m. It was very specific because that created the birth chart for the nation so that it would have the aspects that they wanted for uh -huh. the nation. And he explained to me that one of those aspects in the birth chart of the nation is that the U.S. cannot win any conflict by itself. It needs allies. And he kind of pointed out, he started rattling off a list of little wars and big wars and where the U.S., when it fought by itself, it would get a sad escape. But when it fought with allies, even if it just it was one ally, they would win. And he says that it's there. It's in the birth chart of the nation. So, But I, I, I knew nothing of astrology, so he could have shown me the chart and it was all Greek to me. Interesting. And as Richard pointed out... Uh, yep. He said, he said something that was really interesting because we were talking about Whitley saying that it seems like a people that have, um, Celtic, Irish, Native American, or black heritage seems to be the ones that have these odd experiences, these psychic phenomena, these metaphysical, ex you know, experiences. And he pointed out, Richard did, that those are the same people that have storytelling that tells stories so what you've got is you've got the people the kids are being uh, brought up on the concept of, of, a, of a you know an a leprechaun and the concept of trees having uh, spirits in them and animals being uh, significant of certain energies that then can tell you much about what's happening around you I can... <laughs> sorry I, I couldn't resist 
the uh, seeing the, the connection of what you described when you said the list of those ethnic groups? That's always been my criticism of the Hispanic culture. You know, I was born and raised in Argentina, and there is no mythology in the Spanish culture. I mean, when, when the books, the Lord of the Rings was translated, I would look at the English and the Spanish copies, and it was pathetic, because in English you have all these names for all these different entities, like, you know, gnomes and fairies and trolls and ogres, and, and they're all and orcs, and they're all unique entities unto themselves. There's, there, there is no blanket name to each one, but you go into Spanish, they just use one word, because the language doesn't exist. There's no myth- mythology, there's no fantasy. <laughs> so that, wow, I'm that's hearing, interesting. Yeah, that, it, it's, so, it's so pathetic. In fact, that's one of the things my in school, my father, one of his teachers was a prolific writer, and he wrote a, a wonderful book that it sold to this day uh, called The Thousand and One Argentine Nights. Yeah. And the, actually, the man actually had to sit down and create fantasy. He created a mythology that people could, could read and enjoy. Uh, remember the, the old thing of the, uh, the genie in the lamp that you rub the lamp and a genie comes off? <laughs> he, in his book, the cover art for the book, is this gaucho, you know, the gauchos, they, they boil water and they drink mate. So this gaucho is rubbing this kettle and out of the, out of the spout of the kettle comes out this genie gaucho. <laughs> so, so he had to create a fantasy and people would just eat up this book. I mean, it, it made you fly, it made your imagination fly. So that's, I, I, I'm sorry it, it, uh, to interrupt your, what you were saying, but I just couldn't help seeing the connection. No, it's that's great because um, just in, in, pointing at you, okay, you can do shamanic journeying because you've been trained how to do that. Anybody that is of a certain mindset and probably has had uh, incarnations, I don't think that I, I, I've never met anybody that did shamanic journeying that didn't have a long experience and lifetimes over it. Um, but you're not psychically attuned. You don't see... Tinkerbell and you don't say, you know, nature spirits and you don't see energies, correct? Um, I, the, the thing that I can say, the closest thing to seeing energy is when I, uh, I look at a person, for example, and I notice that there's some kind of hue to them. Like all of a, even in the middle of the daylight, a person will look dark or it'll look like a dirty red or dirty. And it makes, there's no physical justification for it. I just noticed that there's a color on the person. That's the closest thing I can say to, uh, I guess, a psychic perception of, of a person's aura, I guess. And the other thing is just intuitive hits. Like, uh, our neighbor lost her cat this morning because they're doing major repair work and he got spooked by all the machine sound, and she, we have the key to her house, and she told us to keep an eye out, see if he comes back to the house, and he has a way to get in from the back. So we went to the house this afternoon, and I, we kept calling out to him, and then something kind of told me, look in the garage, and I go to the garage, and there's Ted. So he came into the house. So I'm glad I was paying attention. <laughs> Well, you're also opened up now to a lot of the uh, possibilities of imagination. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, like Richard pointed out, it's a storytelling. And we know that 
the DNA of a human being is uh, programmed by energies. And the most potent energy is the human voice itself. So if you are a storyteller and you're telling the stories or you're listening to the stories, you're actually programming the DNA. So I found it fascinating that, um, you know, that that may be the key to everything. The more we talk about these stories, these kind of crazy stories that we have, um, the more we are imprinting the concept of imagining. Imagining. <clears throat> Love you guys. Okay. Good have night, a great everyone. Week, every night. Bye. Thank you, everyone. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart as a